You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Yeah, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the five-year history of the hit animated series, Star Wars The Clone Wars. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is my good friend, Kira. Hi, Dominic. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very much looking forward to talking about this arc. I think we've got two great episodes of Season 1, all relating to a familiar droid, I think I would say so, in R2-D2. So. Some of you might have heard of him. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as Karen mentioned, we'll be discussing Downfall of a Droid and Duel of the Droids. Uh, they have a two-part arc from Season 1 with a lot of interesting stuff in there. So, uh, Karen, why don't you uh, start off by telling us what went down in these two episodes? Yeah, uh, the synopsis for the arc as a whole. R2-D2 is lost during a fierce space battle, and Anakin must find him before the Separatists discover the Jedi military secrets locked in his memory banks. And further on to this, Anakin, Ahsoka, and a replacement droid, R3-S6, embark on a droid rescue, sorry, a dual rescue sabotage mission when they discover R2-D2 is being held at General Grievous's secret enemy listening post, the Skytop Station. Yeah, so uh, it's a, I, I, let's start off with our initial impressions of the arc. I definitely, I really enjoyed this one. It's a fun little two-parter. Anytime you get lots of R2 action, um, it, it's by far the best of any of the droid arcs from the entire Clone Wars series. Uh, what did you think of it, Karen? No, I thought it was a very good arc, actually. I remember when I first thought about going back to this, that it wouldn't be, you know, the best arc to look back at season one. But going through it, I think there's, there's quite a few stuff to talk about. And um, I particularly like the, the Anakin Ahsoka v. General Grievous. It's a proper heroes and villains arc. And obviously, you know, we've got our favourite droid R2-D2 in there. So I think overall, you know, my initial thoughts, I think it was a very, very good arc. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk about this arc, um, specifically Anakin's relationship to R2. Um, you know, Anakin seems to be willing to rip the universe apart to search for R2. Um, but where does this connection to R2 come from? Because uh, watching the films or even watching the, the first couple of episodes, I don't necessarily get this deep, deep connection to R2. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, like where this relationship ca- comes from? I think it more relates to actually Anakin's character, really. I mean, you see him in a you know, relationship with Padme, and it's really irrational and very obsessive that you, you see in episode three. And you can see that here, really. I mean, at the beginning of the episode, there's a lot of reference in calling him like Buddy. Uh, so you can see that he's got this friendly connection, but... I think it's almost the way that, you know, he's lost his mother at episode one and that relationship has broken down. 
And so he almost needs to hold on to something. You know, Padme's not there. You know, R2, R2 is almost like, you know, his companion throughout all of this. I think Ahsoka's still, he doesn't really know her well enough to see her as that type of figure. And, I mean, it really is, um, I don't know how you thought about it, but I saw it as a really, you know, an irrational obsession here with R2-D2. So much so that, you know, he's willing to go out of his way to risk the mission to go and save him. Um, and when he goes on that Trandoshan scavenger ship, you know, he even draws the lightsaber on Garnat, who obviously is the audience we find out he's evil, but we don't know at that particular point. You know, he's, you know, he's ready to kill him. I mean, you really see this obsession over R2-D2. And like I said, I really see it as it's almost the only way that he can relate to someone there. That's the closest thing he's had to almost family because he's known him the longest. So, I mean, what were your impressions on that, Dominic? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I hadn't thought of that. He does sort of know R2 going all the way back to episode one. Um, so that's a good way. To, mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. So he's, he's sort of his relationship to him there. It almost felt like they were using Anakin as a uh, as, as the viewer in this episode. The, the viewers already love R two D two. Everybody loves R two D two. You're hard pressed mm-hmm. to find somebody who doesn't love R two D two. So Anakin was almost sort of the viewer in this episode, and that we would be willing to rip the universe apart to look for R two. Um, Whereas, uh, you know, and, you know, we do learn that Anakin really can't let go of R2 for, you know, plot reasons when you find out <laughs> that they haven't wiped his memory of, of anything. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. I, it, was, it was a good thing for Anakin to, you know, obviously a good excuse for Anakin to look for him. But it was clear beforehand with that conversation with Obi-Wan that he was desperate to find him. It, it was almost, you know, as you said, quite fortuitous that, you know, Obi-Wan allowed him to do it because of mission reasons. But um, so I was thinking on to that. How did you see um, uh, Obi-Wan in all of this? I mean, would you say... You know, can you understand him when he's saying, you know, uh, you know, attachment is forbidden for a Jedi? When he, I mean, you know that scene in the in the actual ship when they're talking with each other, and uh, Anakin is saying, you know, I could take a squad out there, but Obi Wan's like, you know, it's only a droid. Can you see Obi Wan's perspective as well? Yeah, you definitely can. I mean, Obi Wan doesn't have the connection to R two. He says, you know, droids are a dime a dozen. You know, they're, they're just everywhere. And, you know, George Lucas has said in the past that in the Star Wars universe, droids are like a toaster. You know, I, I don't remember <laughs> my first toaster. Do you remember your first toaster? I, I mean, you know. No, I don't know. Yeah, it, you know, kind of makes you sad. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I'm trying to think now. Of my own <laughs> uh, but yeah. No, that's not coming back to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, Obi-Wan doesn't. Obi-Wan doesn't, is a better Jedi than Anakin in, in many ways, in the sort of the sense that he's always bound by the code. Uh, he's not going to make irrational decisions based on attachments. Uh, most of the time, although we see in Season 5, he might not have made the smartest decision going to Mandalore. Um, mm. But he is he's definitely a voice of reason in this. He's sort of, you know, he's Anakin's conscience that, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But as we see... <laughs> Anakin, he just sort of ignores him and still goes and, and does what he pleases. And that's sort of, you know, what ultimately leads him down the, the dark side path in episode three. And- you can kind of see as well through, well, sorry to jump in there, but with the Anakin and Ahsoka, um, how Ahsoka's looking at Anakin at this point. I mean, this is a proper episode where you can actually see Anakin almost not quite day to day, but, you know, what he's like in a mission. And obviously Ahsoka's going to be taking a lot from this. 
uh, particularly evident when Anakin actually says, you know, everyone says you should listen to your Padawan, and and then Anakin will say, as you do yours, you know, again, this idea of disobedience, you know, is clearly going to be drawn into her mindset. Yeah, and and you get the sense that maybe Obi-Wan is still thinking of Anakin as his Padawan in this episode, or that he's still... Mm. You know, he thinks that <laughs> Anakin quite hasn't quite learned all of his lessons when it comes to all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. And as you said before, it's you know, you know, do as I say, not do as I do. So yeah, uh, and that's kind of a relationship that he's building with Ahsoka at this point here. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I, I'm I'm scratching my my brain to think if there's a a good example of Ahsoka going off and uh, disobeying Anakin quite like that. I, I think she's still manages to hold on to a little bit more of the obedience-ness that she mm-hmm. gets from Obi-Wan and Plo Koon, but still reckless. Yeah, there's no, there's no real example. I'm trying to think yeah. of where she actually does that. Perhaps lightsaber loss could be an example. Yeah, she something She doesn't like disobey that. Anakin, but, but uh, she, she, obviously she tries to do her own thing. Yeah, I she's guess. not willing to, to tell him. You know, she's afraid yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, that's true. Um, one, one thing that really kind of set this arc apart was the music. You know, we're used to big orchestra, bombastic music like that. And, and in this arc, we got some techno music. Um, what did you think of that? Is that something you'd like to see more of in Star Wars? Or I guess hear more of in Star Wars moving forward with things like spin-off films, or that kind of stuff? Maybe Rebels? No, that's, that's a very good question. What do I want to see more techno music? Probably not really. <laughs> it kind of took me out of the episode, or the arc, I should say. Uh, more than anything else. I mean, I like the music at the beginning, you know, when the when Grievous's ships all come in uh, into the uh, Bothan system and, and you can see that menacing tone to it. And I thought there was a lot of, actually, allusions to the old Star Wars music, but particularly I could see at the end of the episodes, you could see that Force theme that uh, um, seemed to come back again uh, at the end of these uh, two episodes. But in terms of the techno music... Uh, I just think it's it's not really Star Wars, really, in my opinion. I quite, you know, we're all used to the John Williams classical type music, or you know, the big, uh, overwhelming uh, ensemble. Whereas that seemed a little bit uh, too, <laughs> I say, too modern almost <laughs> uh, in terms of Star Wars. I mean, how did you find it? For sure. I mean, I, I enjoyed it in the sense that I, I I enjoy some techno music from time to time. Um, <laughs> But I, I totally see where you're coming from in that it, you know, Star Wars is is sort of that classical orchestra, John Williams esque music. Um, but, but at the same time, I, I'm not opposed to seeing it uh, used a little bit in, in something like a spinoff film. I mean, I don't want Episode Seven to start off with the techno remix of the of the main theme, you know, <laughs> or anything like that. But you know. In something like a spin-off film or, or the Clone Wars or, or television series, things like that, you know, I think it, it it could be, you know, used here and there, can maybe be used to, to make a, a good point or to set a certain type of scene. But but overall, stick to the classical music, um, you know. Yeah, yeah I don't exactly. I concur exactly with that, to be honest. But sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not open to different types of music. I just thought uh, techno music just... It wasn't. It wasn't the greatest uh, in, in the arc, in my opinion. But you know, I, I, mean, I don't think we mentioned it as much. But I think in the arcs that we looked at previously, I think Kevin Kiner's music has been very, very good. I have to say, for sure. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of notable um, uh, references or allusions to the old Star Wars, uh, or, or I should say, not the old, the films 
uh, in terms of music that's that's used there, which I thought was quite effective. He doesn't use all of it at the same time, but he'll, he'll add little you know, nuances here and there that you can you know latch onto and recognize. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think you know when the when the series was first on, people would say you know we we want more John Williams music, more John Williams music. I think really they 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 did hit the sweet spot with just the right amount and you know, having allusions to it because you know let's be honest we're used to the films where it's nothing but John Williams music or the or the mm. video games where, where you know there'll be you know about fifty percent original music and fifty percent John Williams music whereas I think I think this uh, you know only using it in key moments is sort of the the sweet spot and is probably what we'll see going forward in, in things like spin-off films or even episode seven. I mean, you have to think that there's going to be a, he's going to write a lot of original music for it. And then, you know, in the right moment, you'll get a nice, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh no, exactly. I mean, that's, that's evident in episode three at the end of that, when, you know, illusions and a force theme, particularly when Obi-Wan gives the baby to, um, on Peru and uncle Owen. And even, uh, there was a recurrence of the Jewel of the Fates because it was obviously so popular, you know, in episode one. It was used in episode two and episode three. And that's what I kind of feel, as you were saying, was used in the Clone Wars. That They didn't use it all the time. It almost seemed it wasn't original. They're just, you know, copying it. Whereas, you know, you've got a bit of original music here. I think that, that, that's, that works a lot better. And as you said, it gives particular emphasis to the important moments yeah. in the actual arc that people, you know, stand up and listen to. Uh most evident I, I can think of in my mind is, is in the Mortis arc, uh, the Force themes used there. Oh yeah, see, so it's used uh, all over the place there. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, and going back to the the techno music just for a second, you know, this this was also the first time we'd ever heard techno music in Star Wars. You know, <laughs> we had you know we had heard a little bit of electric guitar and stuff in Episode Two and then in the Clone Wars film, but it's mostly the the big bombastic music. So maybe you know. If they use it, you know, here and there, we'll start to get a little bit more used to it as as we go forward in the yeah, absolutely in new stuff. Uh, let, let's talk a bit about Gonoct. He's the uh, the droid scavenger smuggler kind of guy, slimy, farting uh, General <laughs> Grievous <laughs> working for. Uh, what were your your overall impressions of of, of Gonoct? Yeah, I mean, he was a, a Trandoshan, which was uh, quite surprising. I mean, this is one of the first times you can argue that... Well, not one of the first times. I think you could use the example of uh, King Katunko. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying to think of species now. Toydarian, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Toydarian species. I'm a Toydarian! Um, the mind tricks don't yeah. work on me. That's a terrible yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was, again, another example of, you know, not every species is going to be exactly the same. People... I can't remember exactly at the time, but I think there are a lot of people who are thinking, you can't be a trend ocean. Bosk is a trend ocean. This is just a fat person, but uh, fat, you know, alien species. But you know what? I thought it was quite uh, good because you're kind of using, again, the idea that the galaxy is broad. I mean, the human race, uh, going all philosophical here, but the human race <laughs> itself isn't exactly the same. We're all individual in character. Um, so why can't other species be the same? Um, and I just thought he was a good character, actually, to add into this. Um, he added that, you know, bit of, I mean, you could tell that there was, uh, you know, it wasn't all good and there was particularly malevolent moments with him. Obviously that smile he gives when he, you know, he says, be careful. There may be some, you know, unique items here, you know, and you know, he's not, you know, a total good guy. And then you find out when he talks to General Grievous that obviously he's on their side. 
But I, I, kind, I quite liked his character. I thought he was quite funny. It added a bit of humour. We talked a lot about droid humour recently. And yeah. This was a, a different type of humour that was added to this. A different so. type of droid humour. The guy talking about Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, yeah no, he, he was great. Uh, he was voiced uh, brilliantly by by Hellboy. I mean, Ron Perlman, uh, which, was, which was pretty <laughs> cool. It was the first of the, of the big name guest stars that the Clone Wars got. You know, up there with yeah, George absolutely. Takai and David Tennant uh, kind of people. Um, but yeah, he, he was... You know, he was cool. I, I like what you were saying about how he wasn't, uh, you know, just another Bosk. Sort of the same way that Zero, while he was still a gangster, wasn't just another Jabba. What I want to see in Rebels is I want a hut as a part of the Rebellion. I want him to be, you know, oh. you know, some kind of strategist for the Rebels. I think that would be a really, you know, it, you know, it, you know, they probably have to make him talk like, oh, you know, they, you know, typical yeah. Jabba. They wouldn't be able to pull off Zero again for that kind of character. I think that would be just Zero's a, son. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit too much for the the viewers, but yeah, yeah, that'd no, like, be really cool actually. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could see how that adds to it. You know, you could like, almost learn about the criminal underworld a lot more, and you know, be almost a good excuse to to go and have a look more at that sector. But at the same time, you could. Look at how that develops in a rebel. I mean, that's quite a nice idea. Yeah, well, this is why. Email that. Email that's Lucasfilm. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll sort of go and we'll put this in the deleted folder and yeah. No. <laughs> or or do a YouTube video, dear JJ Abrams. Yeah, yeah dear Dave Filoni, like Simon Kinberg, and Dreg Weissman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what should be in <laughs> Star Wars Rebels. Yes. <laughs> uh, what shouldn't be in? <laughs> or what should, yeah. Ooh. Um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but he was sort of uh, Gunnock was really one of the first, you know, like I just want my money kind of thing. He was almost a precursor to Hondo in many ways. Yeah, it was all about the money. Did you, did you enjoy his character though? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, he was he wasn't that you know he was he was no Hondo, but he was you know I like the idea that he wasn't necessarily a good guy in the first episode, but you you couldn't write him off as a complete baddie until he spoke to General Grievous. There was a little bit of ambiguousness about his about his character at first. And I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I thought that was, you know, this, this whole arc you get a lot of ambiguous characters, as we'll yeah. talk about when we get to Goldie, the yeah. replacement astromech. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely introduces the idea of the third element here, really, yeah. doesn't it? The idea that it's not just you know the heroes and the villains, but it's almost you know. What, what do they call it? The scoundrels, the scum, and yeah. you know the villainy and the bounty hunters. All of that type have uh, been really introduced. Which I mean, I mean, just a question I came up with. You know, would you say this was a good way to introduce that third element? Um, I mean, I think that that third element was introduced a bit in in the Clone Wars movie with uh, Jabba and, and the Hot Underworld and stuff. But yeah, I think this was sort of you know it was a way of first in the TV show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, this was sort of a way of, of introducing the audience that to the fact that there is this whole other underworld type uh, area out there that it, that you know these people do exist, but without you know diving in headfirst, so sort of you know just putting your toes in the water to to see how it how it works and giving you this idea mm-hmm. of a bigger universe instead of just jumping right in with bounty hunters and stuff. And it could have been like, well, where did they come from? Oh, there's this third thing. Yeah. You understand that there are these droid scavengers and stuff, and when there are droid scavengers, you know there are bound to be people who are worse than them, like the mm. hunters. Well, you can see that this particular character obviously has no allegiance to anybody than himself, and I think that's quite good. It's a bit different that obviously he's working 
uh, or he's selling, it would seem, this droid to General Grievous rather than to say just Jabba the Hutt. So it goes to show that, you know, they'll take any side as long as they get the money. Yeah, yeah. Garnock seemed like the kind of character who if he found some old battle droid heads with some interesting stuff in them, he would take them to the Jedi and try to get a, get a few credits out of them. Uh, well, it's evident when, you know, Anakin flashed the money out. He was like, oh, Ooh, money. Maybe I do have an astromech. Maybe. <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. So, of course, you can see in his mind, it's all about, you know, personal greed rather than an actual allegiance here to, to Grievous. Yeah, I mean, you see, he stands up to Grievous. You know, I, this droid is worth more, I get paid more, which, of course, didn't turn out very well for him. Yeah. Which was, Not wise, really, was it? Yeah, which which was a great way of uh, of showing Grievous as an as a villain, as a really good yeah. villain that you know he will kill people. It's you know it's one of those things the show, especially in the early days, often got written off for being too kiddy and too you know that kind of stuff. I can see where that's coming from with some of the stuff go- coming down the line in season one, but this is one of those moments like when the droids were. Uh, in the in the malevolence arc, when the droids were pulling the clones out into space and just letting them suffocate, basically, <laughs> this is one of those moments where it's like, not a kids show, definitely not a kids show. I know, it's a total in- inaccurate generalization there, really. I mean, from the beginning, how can you say this was a kids show? Like yeah. you said, when those clones were getting pulled from the escape pods, that wasn't just too kiddie to me, was it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. That is that's some disturbing stuff. Um, exactly yeah right horror film on that yeah (laughs) yeah no definitely you know villain i think this arc did a great job of showing grievous as as a villain in terms of you know you know somewhere some places down the line you know as he doesn't get any wins over and over again people start to you know complain that he wasn't the villain they hoped he would be in and you know you can understand where that's coming from but in this arc you definitely see him as a villain. I mean, he, he mm. you know, he dominates Ahsoka. Um, she gets through basically by, on, the, on the, by the skin of her teeth. And, you know, we see him totally betray this guy who has just handed him the best present that a droid general could ask for. All the information oh, the, the opponent. I mean, what did you think of Grievous in this arc? I really liked him. I really liked him compared to the last arc when we looked at the malevolence one, and I thought, you know, he was being a bit babied almost by Count Dooku, you know, telling him everything to do. I like he showed a bit of tactical nuance here, uh, particularly in a space battle. I thought he was what you'd call strategically sound. I mean, he he had some idea of what would happen. Like he was saying, uh, you know, well, I think one of the droids said, you know, why don't we just attack them from above? And they said, you know, well, we can't because I'm, you know. Otherwise, the Republic, we've got fear of them being able to have the advantage as a consequence. And obviously, they talked about the forward shields. He said, well, the rocks will protect us. They aren't going to get behind them. And so it showed that, you know, Grievous does have some, you know, good tactical uh, awareness here. And it was really, you could say, escalated um, Anakin Skywalker's own uh, tactical play here. That he was able to use something quite ingenious as a way of getting past this. So I thought there was a lot less of, you know, Grievous being a bit uh, dim-witted, so to speak, and a lot more, um, you know, he was able to think of his own ideas. I thought they were good ideas. And as you said, he was clearly a lot more, um, in terms of results, he seemed like he was getting them, uh, particularly when, you know, he's, he's killing off this, uh, so you know, this Trandoshan because, you know, he's like, oh, we'll have to pay more. He's like, nope. Not paying you anything, mate. Yeah. That's what it was like. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And, you know, in the Tom Kane narration at the beginning of the first episode, it does mention that Grievous has just gotten a whole bunch of victories. Um, yeah, exactly. Which, which I want to I mention that because 
it brings me to something that you know people who don't watch the show or who have only really watched the show a couple times would say which was you know but the, the bad guys never get a win it's always the good guys winning well it's not realistic it's like you know they they're not going to show the bad guys winning because nobody wants to watch that it's you you, mm. you don't go to the movies thinking you know i i really hope that that uh that, that uh, General Zod defeats Superman, you know? I, you know, you don't go into the movies thinking, hey, I hope Khan kills Captain Kirk, or I hope Loki beats Thor. You know, you don't go in thinking of that. You want to see the good guys win, and so they they have to you know work around that, and so they allude to separatist victories, and you hear a lot about it about it, especially at the beginning of this arc in the dialogue. You just don't see them because that's not as much fun to watch. Um, but, but you mentioned Anakin and how Anakin's sort of technical prowess was imp- improved in this episode. I kind of got the feeling that Anakin was just kind of getting lucky a couple of times. Um, you know, when when they go to Skytop Station and he hears uh, uh, R2, the R2 beeping coming over the comm link, and he says something along the lines of, you know, we have to follow that, we have to follow that. And Ahsoka says, aren't we supposed to be looking for the, the listening post? And Anakin says, but R2 could be aboard the listening post. Did you ever think of that? And it kind of, to me, that sort of streamed as him, you know, just doing what he wants and trying to make up a reason for why they're doing it. Because really, they had no proof that that was where R2 was. They had no proof that R2 was even alive at that point, other than the than, than the beeping, which probably could have been any other <laughs> astromech. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Is Anakin just a tactical genius that he would think that the Separatists would have found R2 and taken him to, to Skytop Station? Or is he just lucky and because he was, you know, it just sort of, things just sort of fell into place for him? Yeah, I could I could see where you're coming from on that. That's actually quite interesting. Uh, I, I actually thought at the beginning... Um, there was examples there. I mean, the idea of using those walkers on the asteroids, I thought that was a very, very clever and ingenious idea. I mean, that was quite surprising sure. when I first... I was like, wow, you know, I didn't expect that. And a bit like Grievous was like, oh, I didn't expect that either. <laughs> he was like, what? You know, we've been outflanked. What? Oh, that's not going to happen. Um, but in terms of that, I would say that example you used was more... Yeah, that was selfishness, really. I mean, that was the idea that he thought that was R2. He wasn't, at that particular point, he wasn't at the listening post. That was just a, you know, maybe he is at the listening post as, as a way or excuse of saying, well, I will go here uh, because we may be able to do this objective. But really, he, he just wanted to get R2 back. Um, that was obviously a stroke of luck. Yeah. And in terms of, um, uh, but there were other examples as well, you know, obviously blowing up the station. Maybe that wasn't the <laughs> wisest idea, but it seemed to work for him anyway. For sure. Um, but obviously, when he was at the actual Skytop station, again, there was, you know, selfishness again. I mean, you think about it, he's just left Ahsoka and the, and the clone troopers to carry out the mission. I mean, this is a, a very important mission here, and he's leaving it to his very inexperienced Padawan, which is more than evident. Of course, we know that Grievous and Anakin can't meet each other, but that's besides the point here. The point is, he's left, you know, clones and an inexperienced Padawan to fight off Grievous and his hordes. I mean, I think that's particularly selfish, really. And it, and it, it links on back to what we're talking about, about that obsession and that irrational obsession of Bartu and Anakin. I mean, had this been Padme in this situation, it would have been exactly the same. You could just imagine what would have happened there. Probably wouldn't have blown up the station, but they might well have, you know, he would have gone and done his own thing. Um, I mean, could you see the similar uh, oh, yeah. idea? For sure, yeah. It, 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 it's the exact same thing that happened last 
in the last arc when he told told everybody to stop shooting at the malevolence because Padme was bored. It's sort of like <laughs> how many strokes of luck does this guy get? How many you know second chances to get <laughs> to get it right? I mean, is he just that smart? Is the Force just that much with him that he is going to know everything immediately, or is he just kind of? Yeah, or, or, or it sort of seemed like we were building up, building up, building up to the point where he, you know, acts irrationally and he makes the wrong decision, which we know is what happens in Revenge of the Sith when he chooses mm. to save Palpatine instead of, you know, letting Mace Windu kill him. Uh, it, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the whole, whole you know, concept around Anakin. I mean, really, he is pretty selfish in all of this, and he gets very, very lucky, and, and clearly the force is with him, but I don't see him as being able to be like Master Yoda and, and see into the future and, and uh, see what's about to happen. He, he kind of just goes with it almost. I mean, in fairness, it does seem like a lot of the Jedi are trying to catch up with him. Um, and it may, maybe the force really is that strong of him that, you know, whatever his instincts tell him that, that that's the right thing to do because, you know, obviously Obi-Wan and Anakin, uh, sorry, Obi-Wan and, you know, someone like Plo Koon would often like to take a step back and say, maybe we should, we should think about this, whereas he's just straight in there and, you know, all hell breaks loose and uh, somehow Anakin managed to come out, you know, on the winning side. <laughs> so <laughs> perhaps, perhaps it is. Yeah, that's an interesting concept there. Actually, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something to think about as as we go through the series. Is he sort of does Anakin keep making these sort of almost lucky decisions that you know t- keep turning out the way he wants them to? But you know, we know that ultimately that it's that decision making that uh, ruins everything <laughs> for him in the end. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so we've talked a lot about R two. Uh, and Anakin, but let's talk about the the villain of this arc. And I'm not talking about General Grievous. I'm talking about Goldie, the Gold R three unit, I guess we should say. Uh, what do you remember? What his his exact name was? It was R three. I think it's R three S six. R three S six. So uh, you know, R two's gone. Ahsoka brings up Goldie. I'm just gonna keep calling him that because it's easier to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and presents him to Anakin and he begins to screw up and he doesn't stop screwing up throughout the entire uh, the entire arc and it begs this question is the state of droids so terrible in the Star Wars universe that they are going to you know just sort of keep passing off every one of these quote unquote mistakes as just Goldie not knowing what to do I mean how did they not realize that this guy was a traitor from the very beginning as soon as he started you know uh, dr- you know, dropping the the hyperspace engines, and you know, not uh, letting Anakin control the speeder or the the star his starfighter correctly, uh, you know, closing doors, and, you know, and it's like, how did they miss this? It seems so obvious to us. Is, it, is it just the droids in the Star Wars universe are that bad, and R two is like the exception, or is there something wrong with the Jedi Order? Um, what do you think? I could kind of see that. I could see both, really. I mean, you look at episode one. Remember when they're trying to repair the Naboo Starfighter? <laughs> all the other droids are just like, boosh. You know, they're dying like flies here, ain't they? They're all chucked off straight away. You know, R2's managed to stay on and fix the hyperdrive. But, um, yeah, um, I could kind of see that. But I suppose in a war situation, you kind of just take what you get. 
And I sure. suppose you just want to quickly get on and do things. But at the same time, I know what you mean. You just think, how do you not know about this? I mean, there were so many times. Why, why on earth would Anakin want to take Goldie on the mission again after his failings on the Trandoshan ship? I mean, obviously, there's IGA-8, so, uh, those assassin uh, droids. They well, up obviously because of Goldie. Yeah. Goldie couldn't open the door. I mean, wow, this was a defective droid to say the least. I mean, I would have taken. I would have taken my bets and said, "No, I'll take another droid." <laughs> I know Ahsoka was all a bit like, you know, she. He want. I think in a way, Ahsoka kind of pushed him because she wanted him to almost, you know, form this other bond with a with an astromech droid. Seeing that as the way of perhaps making Anakin a bit happier again, but I. Uh, <laughs> I mean, again, the idea of bond, bonding with a droid is not particularly healthy anyway. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that's, that was a wise idea on her part. But, yeah, I mean, really, I still think there was enough evidence there to suggest that this droid wasn't just effective. Um, I mean, what did you think? I mean, when you first saw this, um, you know, say the first part of this arc, you know, you don't find out that he's the traitor till the, the second part. Did you, were you, did you believe that he was or, or were you along with... Uh, you know, we 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 were Anakin saying, you know, no, I don't like this droid. Just get rid of him. I don't, I I don't think he's a part of this. Uh, whereas Ahsoka's like, no, just give him another chance. He'll be fine. He did a great job. Uh, I mean, what was your opinion on that? I mean, the first time he started messing up, it was kind of like, uh, it was like, oh, okay, you know, you you start off on Ahsoka's side, like, you know, he messed up. Okay, he's a new droid. Give him a chance. You you, you kind of want him and Anakin to get along. You don't like seeing Anakin being you know you know foreshadowing his future the way that the way that he was when he was dealing with with goldie but after the you know after the second or third uh thing that went wrong it was kind of like are, are, are you kidding me there has to be something either seriously defective with this droid or he has to be some kind of separatist spy uh, which which brings me to, to, to the next point which is how did he get in I mean, it's one thing to, you know, send a, a spy who's, you know, a, a living, sentient person who is able to, you know, falsify their their mm. you know, credentials and stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's one thing to send a bit James... like Captain Argaeus or someone. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, it's one thing to send a Captain Argaeus or, 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 or a James Bond-esque person in. But to send a droid in, I mean... I I got the impression that they thought that Goldie was you know had just been built, just been bought. I mean, did they you know did General Grievous infiltrate the Republic's droid supplier? It, it's one of those things. How did they they get through? And you know, shouldn't there have been some kind of test to to check the droid's memories and systems for any type of clues that he would betray them the way he did? Uh, what do you think? The only idea I can think of is perhaps it's all linked again to this trade federation. I mean, they're obviously a droid supplier, and they seem to be supplying uh, elements and uh, armaments to both sides. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if Grievous just said, you know, pluck this droid out or put him in there and put him in one of the supplies that's going to the Republic. I mean, obviously Palpatine's got control of all of this. Whether he had direct control over this... Uh, again, well, that, 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 that might be something where, where Palpatine could have had direct control. As, you know, if Grievous goes to New Gunray, he may not, you know, <laughs> may not listen to him. But if Palpatine goes to New Gunray, then he's definitely going to, you know, listen to him. And, you know, and it's it's harder for for Gunray to, you know, to defend himself saying, yes, General Grievous told me to do it. If he says, you know, shadowy figure in black or even the Republic Chancellor was the one who told me. You know, put this yeah. one, send this one to the Republic. So that, that might have been somewhere where 
Palpatine talked to Dooku, Dooku talked to Grievous, and Grievous, you know, finds out, you know, somewhere along that line that, oh, there's this yeah. droid on the inside. And this is how I communicate with them. That's a good. That's a good point. You know, some kind of. Would you go along with the Trade Federation, or did you, did you have your own? Uh, yeah, no. Theory towards how he got in. I had no theory. I was. I was sort of like you know, thinking that the Republic should be having some kind of major question themselves, look into all of where they get all their droids, kind of thing. Because you know, this is a pretty big deal that General Grievous mm. had a spy among you, and so I, I like the idea of you know the you know the the, the you know the warmongering that's going on that we hear about in later episodes. That you know one of the these companies that's supplying uh, weapons to both sides it, um, also supplies droids to both sides, and thus was able to get R two on board. I think that was a that's a very that's a very good way of thinking about it. I hadn't thought of it. I thought of it that way. It's a excellent. I think that was the best way. I was struggling for ideas. Yeah. <laughs> No, but on a serious note, I did think that the you know the Trade Federation obviously is seemingly working for both sides, and of course we have been introduced to them already with Lot Dodds, you know, yeah. explaining that he is not on the separatist side, even though Dooku <laughs> sent him there, but he is he is you know a neutral party in all of this. Yeah, he and still has to make gains. Yeah. He's still got this seat in the Senate. I mean, obviously he's gonna, you know, they're going to make gains, uh, you know. Uh, you know, economic gains from all of this, so you know, it'd be very much understanding why they would sell this to the Republic. You know, the question you would ask is why would the Republic still be buying off the Trade Federation if they're giving them these rubbish products, basically? Yeah, well, you, you <laughs> know, thinking, let's find another supplier. <laughs> well, maybe that is the only supplier about. You just don't know because seemingly they're providing all of the droids for the separatists, or, or most of them anyway. And um, perhaps that is the main one in the galaxy. That's what we're not going to imagine. Yeah, but that's. It, it's a great point. <laughs> a great way to think of it. Um, let's talk about Ahsoka in, in this arc. You know, we see her um, really try to stand up to General Grievous, and you get this—you've uh, really got the sense that you know she's still very much a Padawan, and and you see her see how much she grows going forward um, when she fights Grievous again in season five. Um, what, what did you think of Ahsoka in this arc? Was she too trusting, too headstrong? Was she? You know, or was she, or can you understand where she was coming from in all of her actions? I mean, you could tell that she's very, you know, youthful and inexperienced at this point. I mean, Ahsoka at this point is quite clearly no match for General Grievous at this uh, at this stage. But of course, she's going to be confident in her abilities. I mean, she sees how our master works around all of this, and obviously, he, you know, that that victory. Uh, despite losing R2 at the beginning of the episode, was a fa- you know a fantastic victory, very much against the odds. You know she's obviously going to take um, Anakin as a, as a seeming role model in in that respect. Um, and obviously, when when she was separated with Anakin, she has to act as that leader general figure. You know when she's referring to General Grievous as this tinny. Uh, obviously, it's supposed to give uh, the clones around her particular confidence, gives herself confidence. Um, but again, very much overconfidence. A very, uh, I liked your um, particular contrast there with her in season five compared to now when they when she fights Grievous later on. I mean, in this episode, she gets taken down very easily. I mean, it's a, a kick. And he's, he's, you think about it; he's only using one lightsaber in this episode um, to knock her down, whereas. You can look at it, you know, four lightsabers in season five, and Ahsoka's, you know, keeping her own there, very much so. So you can see, you know, in terms of progression, how much she comes from. But at this particular point, it's quite clear she is still a Jedi Padawan, and nowhere near uh, 
the Jedi Knight standards. Um, what was your opinion on this? Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I think you know she's definitely Jedi Padawan in this. She's not um, she's not ready to be leading younglings or anything. Uh, she runs in to face off with General Grievous, which was you know a very noble idea to you know save the save the troopers, try and save the mission. But you know it was sort of one two you know lightsaber swings and then she was sort of knocked on the ground and on the run from Grievous which was a, a fantastic sequence I gotta say it was a very mm-hmm. you know it was almost a horror movie-esque kind of scene where yeah. you know she, she was you know hiding and then Grievous's arm would just pop out of nowhere and it was you know it would make you know it made me jump the first time I watched it it was it was kind of creepy especially because it's Ahsoka and you don't know what happens to her it's not Anakin or, or Obi-Wan where you're just like like, like, oh yeah, they got to be in Revenge of the Sith. So, oh look at that. Oh uh, well, I, another thing they survived. How about that? You know, with, with Ahsoka, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, she's dead. Oh no, she's not dead yet. Is she dead? No, no, not yet. Yeah. Which was a, was a great sequence. And, and then of course, Gold he comes in and just shines the light on her. <laughs> that wasn't the ultimate, you know, giveaway for her. You know. I love the way she still believes that though. Gold, like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, come on, come on. You must be getting it by now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can tell, like you were saying earlier, she, you know, she's to buy her by the skin of her teeth. I mean, this was very much, a, you know, just get out of here, you know. I mean, I like Anakin when he said, you know, you were foolish to take her grievous. I mean, that was it, really. I mean, despite the fact that obviously she had the mission, uh, you know, you got the well-being of herself and and the clone troopers. And um, to be honest, though, in terms of her character development, I think this is quite an important lesson for her. Um, because obviously she's going to start realizing now that okay she's a Jedi but that doesn't mean that you can beat everything or everyone. Um, you have to take a step back, recognize the strengths of the other opponents. You know, you can't just go in your own way. You have to adapt to the situations. And you know, I mean, she went in straight away. You know, lightsaber blasting and tried to beat him with strength. It's never going to happen. Let's be honest. And she she did kind of adapt, I guess. You know, she was obviously being very evasive and using the force quite cleverly. But, you know, like I said, it was literally just, you know, once, uh, you know, they'd done their duty, it was quickly get out of it. Go, go, go. Oh, yeah. I can't stand up to Grievous. It was pretty much that. Yeah, I, I definitely think this whole arc was, was, you know, as much as it was about Anakin and, and about R2, it was very much a, a lesson for Ahsoka in, you know, in, in you know, you can't, it's almost a, it's a, it's a very dark lesson in the, you know, trust no one kind of thing with, with yeah. Goldie because, you know, she really wanted to believe that, you know, Goldie was, was a good guy right up until the end. Even when she shone the light, when Goldie shone the light on her when she was fighting Grievous, up until she saw him talking to Grievous, she was really hoping for him to be uh, a good guy. And then, of course, the, you know, the other lesson which you mentioned, you know, you got to be a little bit more careful when, when going up against someone like General Grievous. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's arc, you know, for as much as it's about Anakin and R2, it's very much an Ahsoka arc as well. Um, and, you know, is an important lesson as, you know, as she moves down the line. And that's why, you know, as we see, as, you know, in season five, when, when Hondo shows up on Onderon, she's not really trusting of him at first, you know, it's like, what are yeah. you doing here? It's kind of like, I've been down this road before with some, you know, something that was too good to be true. You know, you're bringing me... You're bringing me rocket launchers. Yeah, I remember I had a droid who was, you know, supposed to be the best new thing, and uh, he betrayed me. It's kind of yeah. you know, that kind of thing where she. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. She definitely. That's a very good. Yeah. It's a very good reference to that. I mean, would you say that 
you could see uh, instances in this arc of where she's grown in confidence. Um, uh, I, I think she has grown a bit in, in confidence. I mean, not to the... She's still very much at the beginning of her journey. She's still very young, and these are sort of her first couple of lessons. Um, whereas, you know, she's willing to take on Grievous. Um, but but it, I, at the same time, she took on Ventress in the Clone Wars film, albeit in a under not quite the same situation. She was in a little bit more duress that time uh, than, mm. than, than in this one where she was, you know, standing up for her for her team. Um but I, I, yeah, I still think it's very much the beginning of her journey, and you know, not really until season two do we really start to see more and more progress being made. Maybe at the end of season one, but really in season two. No, I'd agree with that. I, I like your idea that there's a lot more arrogance to her character now because she hasn't almost tasted the whole extent of the war and, and faced these, you know, true dark Jedi or, or a villain like Grievous. Um, and therefore, that goes to show that uh, she's still very young and very inexperienced. I mean, she's the first one to jump off the ship when she's, you know, follow yeah. me, boys, and she <laughs> jumps off the ship, you know, and everyone's just looking at each other, you know, a bit more cautious. So it goes, it goes to show, you know, she's still very youthful at this time and probably doesn't understand all the, you know, wrongings of the world. I mean, you could also allude to it, um, you know, children in the Second World War would have been thinking, oh, all these bombs and stuff, and everyone's like, quick, get them out, get them out, yeah. you know. Uh, on, on a serious note in that respect um, so in terms of Ahsoka's character she's still very youthful at this point and she will be willing to take on these dangers but as you say by the time we get to season 2 um, her character in itself will be a lot more uh, grown up really I think that's what I'd say grown up and understanding um, because obviously she'll get different role models I mean particularly through season 1 a massive role model was Anakin so I mean that would really help progress her um, already a um, confident character, really. Um, it was evident in the movie. She was very strong-willed and do this, do that. Yeah, I mean, you um, see in the movie, she's practically making fun of Anakin, you know, when she's yeah. telling all the, the troopers about how she saves his life by, you know, dropping the, the you know, building on, on him and there just happened to be the hole in the wall. You know, she, so it's still a bit of that, you know, you, you get the idea that she's had a couple of wins now, so it's, you're almost getting, she's almost getting a bit of, overconfidence and yeah. you're going to see that keep building up and building up up until you know something something bad happens which is i think you know probably the ryloth arc is really where she sort of gets taken down a few notches <laughs> when she loses we can argue in this one as well really um in a little bit with grievous i mean you'd like to think she's learned something from this uh not to just go in headstrong against someone like General Grievous. Sure, I think she has learned a little something from this, but at the same time, you know, how many Jedi face Grievous and survive? Not that many, you know. It's, you know, yeah, people like Obi-Wan or, or, you know, later in this season, Kit Fisto, you know, these are masters, the Jedi masters, and, you know, there she is, she's the Padawan, and she was the Padawan who survived a confrontation with General Grievous, you know, without losing I a guess. limb. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Boost, boost, ego boost, I guess, really. Yeah. It? Exactly. I, I mean, you know, not to the same extent that it would have been if she hadn't killed him, <laughs> per se, but... You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> a little a little booster ego that she was able to get out of that. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the, the fight at the end, seeing the droids go up against each other. Um, only one thing really to say about that. I mean, how cool was that? <laughs> I thought it was no, so that much was very fun. cool. I thought it was so much fun just seeing R2 get to use all of those those tools as weapons and 
facing off with Goldie. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you almost wonder, you know, we talk a lot about Anakin's influence uh, wearing off on Ahsoka. Did his influence kind of wear off on R2 there, where R2 chose to kill Goldie <laughs> at the end? That seemed like a very Anakin move, you know, to to cut the line whereas you know maybe someone like obi-wan would have you know pulled up the the villain and then arrested them you know it kind of felt like an anakin move so is anakin's influence starting to weigh off uh, you know rub off on r2 as well no that's that's a very intriguing concept actually i haven't thought about it that way but actually you could probably see throughout um you know how anakin almost personifies that anakin uh character really sorry r2 personifies the, the character of anakin I think you can see that throughout, um, particularly in the later droid arc in season five. He's often doing his own thing, uh, a lot as what Anakin does, you know, just to get the objective done, so to speak. Um, and yeah, in terms of the uh, you know ridding of the droid, although in fairness, I think a lot of us wanted the droid oh, yeah, to die. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so I think a lot of the audience were like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose it's not quite, you know, like zapping a human but well, i guess he did zap an ewok uh, yeah <laughs> so that wasn't particularly nice but yeah i mean i could see his character throughout um almost being a, a personification of anakin and learning from anakin yeah. um I, I could i could totally see that and in terms of the fighting sequence that was very cool and that was an instance where i really liked uh, kevin kiner's music in there i thought that was very um very good way of building up the fight and then obviously the final victory when you know he get the droid is you know basically burned to death, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool actually. And it was a bit like some of the old Star Wars, you know, there was a lot going on. And uh, I keep saying old Star Wars, I mean Star Wars films. Like obviously in a Phantom Menace, you had a lot of fights going on. You had the the fight in the feed palace, and then the Gungan fight. And then the, the, the lightsaber fight, and you almost had that really with you know Soaker and Grievous, and then Anakin in the hangar, and then you had the two droids fighting each other. So it was like, you know, a lot of nice fighting and battle sequences towards the end, which I thought was very nice. Yeah, I, I could, you know, with R two and, and and Anakin's influence, you know, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you know, R two goes with Anakin to Mustafar, and I almost, you know, it's one of those things that that really had me wondering, you know. If Anakin had won that fight, would R2 have become an agent for the Empire? It, it's, you know, it's one of those concepts that you know, we don't want to think about because everybody loves R2. But you, know, you wonder how far R2 would have followed Anakin and, and Anakin's influence. Because uh, like you said, we see it um, throughout the, the droid arc uh, in Season 5 and, you know, and in this episode a little bit to an extent. So... Yeah. Well, it doesn't take R2 with him, does he, when he, you know, kills all the all the Trade Federation no, he, he doesn't take separatist him. leaders? No, he, does, he doesn't take him with him, but he, you know, he lands on, on Mustafar and he says, you know, R2, stay with the ship, and then he goes in to to kill all the separatist leaders. Does, yeah, but I don't, does he see all of that fight of Anakin and Obi-Wan? I don't, uh, I don't think does. he sees it, but, you know, as Obi-Wan is walking away, he tells R2 to come with him, kind of thing, or he's yeah. next to him. You know, it's, it's, it was just sort of a... a a question I had that, that, you know, if Anakin had won that fight, what, you know, how different would R2's life have been, let alone, you know, Luke and Leia and Yoda yeah. and everybody else, so. I guess. But I guess, the, you know, four, five, and six came before one, two, and three, so fortunately that never had to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> that would have made episode four quite different, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just suddenly he's there, 
And it's like, whoa, what is that? Yeah, well, that would be a story in itself if it, if R2 was with uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor at the end of episode 3, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, I think that would be a great Infinities comic book. You know, they have those Infinities. Yeah. Where, you know, they retell A New Hope or what would happen after A New Hope if, if Luke hadn't blown up the Death Star and that kind of stuff. I think that would be a great Infinities. You know, what would have happened to R2 if Anakin hadn't won that fight? So uh, Dark Horse yeah. Comics, if you're listening, uh, you, you yeah. know how to get in touch with us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Write it down. Yeah. Write it down. That would be great. Um, so I think uh, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, we want to try something new, which is uh, favorite quotes from this arc. So, uh, Kieran, why don't you go first? Did you have a, have a favorite quote from, from this week or these episodes? I have I have a couple of quotes actually. Um, I uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll take a couple from the from the first one. Uh, or yeah, the first one. I liked um, when we're in the ship and uh, Grievous and all the droids are there, and obviously Anakin's in his starfighter and they're and they're going about. And um, <laughs> when when the twilight comes in and Anakin and Ahsoka get away, uh, the droid goes. Uh, they got away, sir. And then Drevis is just like, just smashes the droid's head after. I just yeah. thought that was so good. And the and the other bit that I like with the droid, I mean, I thought the droid team was very good in this episode. Yeah, was when he when um, you know they're all talking about uh, you know send all the fighters out. It's like oh for one Jedi, and it's like it doesn't matter, just send them all out. And then later he goes and says. And when, when he blows them all up, hey, that was clever. He's just like, silence, and he's like, ready to hit him again. Yeah, oh, it's just like, that's such a good line. Um, before you carry on, uh, before I carry on, have you got any quotes of yourself? Well, well, my favorite quote from this episode, I think it was a pretty iconic moment. Um, it was, that was my pathetic R2. Um, uh, oh, it didn't work. Um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> um, I, the, the, the I, I can't remember if this is from the first or the second episode, but I, I love the moment when, when Grievous is facing R2 and he says, yeah. he says, don't be afraid, we're all droids here. Yeah. And it's such a, such a creepy concept, despite the fact that it's not true. You know, Grievous is not a droid. They just walked past a bunch of aliens, and yet, you know, Grievous is almost trying to comfort R2 in a very perverse kind of way. Yeah, I love that bit afterwards. Yeah, I'm gonna go on from that when he goes. He says that, and then he goes, "Rip this little rush apart and find out everything he knows." Like <laughs> he's been really nice, and then he's just like, "Rip him open." Yeah, he, he's like, kind of, kind of, almost Vader. You know, you have command to tear, tear the ship apart until you found those plans. And maybe the best, you know, <laughs> kind of a, yeah, exactly. a, a Vader intonation in that in that moment. It was cool. Oh, it was good right. stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's one more quote I can get from here. Um... Oh, yeah, I, I, I like the Obi-Wan bit at the end <laughs> when he goes and says, so let me get this straight, Anakin. You risked the mission, all your men, even your Padawan, to save a droid. And he's like, well, you know, oh, we saved the station and all of this. And he's like, oh, Anakin, one day. <laughs> he's just like, oh, how does he get away with it every time? I love Obi-Wan sometimes. Even though he's scolding me, I just think it's so funny. Yeah, he's just like, oh, how he's probably he's so annoyed in a way that he's he's been successful, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he has to tell him something wrong. Yeah, something you did was wrong there, Anakin. Yeah, you you kind of feel like Obi Wan's that guy is like, you know, if I had tried that, this never would have worked. You know, he kind of feels that way. (laughs) Uh, How did you get away with it? Why can't it? Why can't this work for me? That kind of stuff. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, some good 
there's some good some good quotes in this. There's good quotes in every episode. I, I loved on on StarWars.com when they used to have the you know the best quotes from the episodes and the episode guides. So it's a shame yeah. they got rid of those in the later seasons. Uh, it's all right. Back to this show. Yeah, we'll bring it back. <laughs> We're bringing it back. Um, so yeah, so so that'll do it for uh, for this uh, for this 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 arcs uh, episode. Uh, so as always. Uh, Kieran, final thoughts, score out of 10, and uh, maybe a favorite moment from the episode, or from the arc. Yeah, I'll, how would I rate this out of 10? I'd probably give this a, a 7 out of 10. Um, I mean, it did have some very good stuff in it. Uh, it was, Like I said, it was better than I, I imagine when I, when I first was watching these episodes. At first I was like, oh, maybe this wouldn't be too good. But it had some good stuff in it. There was some good, great action pieces there, particularly, you know, you had the space battles. And then obviously you've got the, uh, you know, the lightsaber jewels on the station. I thought they were very, very good. And you've got a nice bit of character development here, particularly with Anakin, Ahsoka. You get to see that R2 Anakin relationship. And particularly the development of Grievous as a villain, you know, a proper evil, malevolent villain, rather than just like I said earlier, this character that was babied. You could see this person, sorry, this person, this you know, this cyborg that was very tactically and you know aware, very sound, evil, scary, and that's what I liked. I mean, if I was going to talk about a favourite moment, we alluded to it earlier, but I would probably say uh, that moment when you know Soka's in the, the uh, in the actual sky top station and she you know she uh, she has her light saber light up she you know takes it down and then grievous quickly grabs her and then you know puts it by the throat grabs her lightsaber and holds it up towards her i think that's just such a great moment as you say it was quite a shocking moment as well at the time and that's always one that when i think about that that, that particular moment always sticks out to me the music as well at that particular moment so seven out of ten Oh, I think very good, very good art. How about yourself, Dominic? Oh yeah, I, I, I definitely go with like maybe a seven point five. Um, I, I really enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed the arc. Um, it's just you know, knowing some of the stuff that comes down the line, you know, it, it, it doesn't compare, <laughs> which is why you know it gets yeah. a seven point five rather than you know, ten out of ten as it did when we first saw it, because uh, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it's by far the best droid arc of the whole series. Um. And it, it was great to see, you know, uh, like you said, Grievous is a villain. We get to see Ahsoka growing up somewhat or, or you know, learning a lesson. Um, and for my favorite moment, um, uh, it's a toss-up between the, the, the fight at the end between the two droids. And I, I also love the moment where Anakin is is talking to R2 after he's found him. And they're they're walking down the, the hallway. And, you know, he gets, gets a comm link message from ahsoka or rex i, I can't remember who and, and he mentions mentions r3 and then you know r2 beeps something and and it can goes oh uh well r3 is uh, uh well i had to get a replacement right you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. and i was like who was that oh yeah wow. uh you know it's like, uh, i see how it is <laughs> yeah that's exactly it. it's uh, very much uh it reminds me of that one of those few clips that we saw from from the now postponed star wars detours where it was han and chewy and they were having uh, some kind of you know domestic arguments over when han got home it was the it was that kind of was, you know, pretty funny pretty funny stuff uh, so yeah so this that will that will wrap up uh that'll wrap up this episode we'll be back uh not next tuesday but the tuesday afterwards uh, new episodes are every other tuesday um what and what episodes are we doing next it's all oh, right it's the uh bombad jedi uh 
you know, the Grievous, Ventress, yeah, Cloak of Darkness, Lair of Grievous, yeah, those three episodes make a kind of a kind of weird kind of quasi story arc, but it's pretty, it's gonna be fun. Uh, looking forward to doing that. If you want to send us your opinion on that episode, you can do so by email, emailing us Clone Wars Strikes Back at gmail.com or by posting on our Facebook page, which is uh, the Clone Wars Strikes Back. You can find that by going to facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back um, and be sure to like us there. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. Um, that way you'll never miss an episode. And uh, you, know, you can tweet us your opinion if you can keep it to 140 characters or less. Uh, be sure to listen to my other Star Wars podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast, each and every Thursday night recorded live at 9pm on channel 1138.com or via iTunes the next Friday or you know the next day. Um, and be sure to hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com uh, during the week for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, including maybe the Clone Wars bonus content. Uh, and, of course, subscribe on iTunes to the Star Wars Underworld uh, podcast feed. That's where you'll find Star Wars Underworld podcast and this podcast. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>